I sure do. Who the hell would give these three goons their own show? Welcome to Puck Puck Pass, a belly up sports podcast committed to keeping you informed on the latest news and trends in hockey. So pick up your teeth, grab a brew, and don't be a hoser. Here are your hosts, whose names sound like something I'd call my dog, Zach Mack, Yake, and KJ. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Puck Puck Pass, a hockey podcast brought to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, KJ. Joined today with Endgame Spoiler, Bad Take Haver, San Jose Shark Lover, Zach Mack. How are you doing today, bud? Hey, what's up, KJ? Doing well, doing well, man. How are you doing? Uh, well, you're doing a lot better than I am. <laughs> I had a very, I had an incredibly tough first round. And uh, it's really what we just had to jump into. I'm terrible, and I'm still super, super pissed off. Can you guess why I'm pissed off? Uh, I got a laundry list of reasons you're pissed off. Exactly. But... So let's just go right into the first round. Insanity. All I, We're getting into the second round, but right now, with everything that happened in the first round, obviously the big story was Columbus just dismantling Tampa. I mean, four games to zero. It, Something honestly, I would have guaranteed a sweep by Tampa. So that's obviously the most surprising thing. We had Boston beating Toronto in seven, the Islanders beating Pittsburgh in four, Carolina beating Washington in seven, and on the other side, Colorado over Calgary in five, San Jose over Vegas in seven, Winnipeg loses to St. Louis in five or six. I don't have even have it in front of me. It was six, mm-hmm. and Dallas over Nashville in six. So, with the Tampa series aside, what stuck out to you after the first round? Uh, yeah, if we put the Tampa series aside, I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me was either I got it's a tie for me because Colorado was kind of a surprise for me. I I did say that I thought they could put up a fight if they grabbed a wild card spot, and um, obviously they put up much more than that. Um. I thought that game, or I thought that series was going to go the distance. I was a little shocked it only took them five games. Um, and then on the uh, on the other end, it was the Islanders taking uh, the Penguins out in four games. I thought the Islanders had the ability to take the Penguins out. I did not think it was going to be a sweep. Yeah, I mean the I picked Pittsburgh to win the cup. By the way, if you're in the belly up bracket challenge. Uh, prayers to you because we are all doing terrible. There's like two people who really have a shot to have like a halfway decent bracket. Uh, I picked Pittsburgh to win the finals, and that's really not even the most shocking first round series to me. You mentioned it; it was Colorado. I mean, it it wasn't until I went back and looked at the ins and outs of the entire series that I really saw just the domination, the 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 whole team effort that we were talking about not seeing from Colorado. Right. And they exploited a bad goaltender and we'll get into it in our second round matchup. But I think that in our second round preview, but I think that bodes really, really well for them right now. And for them to do what they did to Calgary was shocking, especially in the amount, in the amount of games, uh, St. Louis and Winnipeg shocked a lot of people who, might not have been paying that much attention to the Jordan Bennington story, I think, because Winnipeg the last two years has been very much 
uh, an offensive juggernaut. But it, for me, it was it was Colorado in a, in a landslide. But beyond Colorado doing what they did in five games, there was a, a story we've seen you know time and time again with Toronto losing to to Boston in seven games. And we saw a lot of the anti-Mike uh, Babcock talk and everything. And he really became a dinosaur overnight. Where do you stand as far as uh, Babcock, not so much as not so much as like his future in Toronto, but his, his coaching future and where he stands as a head coach in today's fast-paced, more finesse NHL? Yeah, I was actually uh, – I actually had this conversation with somebody else the other day. I, I, I think Babcock has had – for a majority of his coaching career, the benefit of strong rosters. He's never really had to um, build, build or uh, develop, I guess is a better word for it. Um, he kind of, you know, he kind of left Detroit when they were in that stage, and then he went over to Toronto, and they were already starting to, to be that powerhouse. And so um, I, I think that's what hurts him the most. Um, I'm, I would be interested to see him in his ability, like in his, where he is now, I'd like to see him, I know it's not going to happen, but I'd like to see him pick up a team that's, you know, something like, like a nine or a 10 spot in the conference. Like a Florida. Yeah. Something like that. Um, just cause I, I really want to see what he's able to do as a coach. And, and we haven't really, all we've ever seen him do is I, I feel like the rosters he's had hasn't translated into the amount of cups that it should. And, uh, and like, like Duba said, you know, nobody's, Nobody's secure, starting with himself. But he he also mentioned Babcock, and so yeah, you got to wonder, you know, what's how long is he going to be in Toronto? What 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 does he have to do in order to stay? Yeah, and I was I was impressed with Dubas. I like Kyle Dubas a lot. Uh, I think he he adds a different element to uh, the old boys club, if you know of, of GMs in yep. in the NHL and. And, you know, nobody wants to hurt anyone's feelings and people only trade with their buddies. Uh, I think him and I'm totally drawing a blank on Arizona's GM, but the younger guys, they they really add something different to the dynamic that is NHL GMs. At the same time, he totally, totally put himself over with the Toronto media. He said exactly what needed to be said. He knew exactly what needed to be said, and he executed it, you know, a lot better than his team executed that's for sure but in talking about Babcock that was I saw a lot of people say this I don't want to take credit for this notion but that was a very very stubborn loss he was only going to do what he wanted to do and he wasn't going to listen to anybody else within that organization and that's why you've got Austin freaking Matthews playing 18 minutes the least amount of time he played in the entire series 18 minutes in a game seven that they trailed the entire time. That's inexcusable. I don't care who the coach is that that can't happen. Yeah. I heard, I heard very similar things from Leafs fans too, that they were um, unhappy with the way he managed the end of that series. And, you know, I, I, I don't know the Leafs, like the Leafs fans know the Leafs. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's a very blatant, like you said, 18 minutes for your star player in the game seven is, I don't, I don't really know how you excuse that. Yeah, it was it was tough to watch because I'm very much anti-Boston, so it was it was difficult to see them do it again. And you know, it'll be interesting to see how they match up with 
Columbus, as we record this, they're up one nothing, but it was an overtime in Boston. So it was, it's really tough to judge Columbus, apparently, in their first like appearance against a team in the playoffs, apparently. Like, yeah, they, they ended up winning game one in uh, Tampa, but I'm still not sold that the Bruins are better than Columbus at this point. Yeah, it's it's just Columbus's first postseason loss, so I don't think uh, anyone should be quick to write them off quite yet. Right. Yeah, last time uh, Vegas had their first postseason loss last year in the second round, they ended up going to the final. So we'll see where that lands them. Uh, but we'll get more into that later. The the Really the only other series that I want to touch on as far as reviewing the first round is the obvious one. The, the Washington Capitals go down at seven. Jeremy Roenick notion towards them giving up. And I, I don't, I don't subscribe to that idea, but I do think they missed TJ Oshie and, and Michael Kempney a lot more than they thought they would. I mean, Ovechkin still kind of had that man possessed attitude uh, in game seven, but I mean, they got dominated in the third period. They were in overtime because of Braden Holtby and they only lasted as long as they did in overtime because of Braden Holtby. So I, I can't fault him, but they had nothing, nothing to show um, in, in overtime. And they deserve to lose the game, but it is, it's wild to see them out in the first round. Yeah, I think, I mean, their downfall, especially in Game 7, what goes back to what we talked about on the very first podcast of the show, and it's that they, they tend to let off the gas when they're up because they rely so much on their um, offense and how much of a powerhouse it is. So what I saw was they had plenty of chances, in my opinion, in that seventh game to bury the Hurricanes. It could have been four or five, nothing before the Hurricanes even put a tally up on the board. And I think that is the, the biggest thing that they need to address in the offseason. Yeah, that I mean that's got to be a huge part of it, and I keep circling back to this notion that Peter Morazic is the starting goaltender for a team in the second round of the playoffs. <laughs> like, and Blow, that, blows that's my crazy. mind. Crazy, yeah. That, I mean, that's really crazy to think about watching the Red Wings as much as I did, and when when Morazic came into the league, actually, and you'll probably agree with this, he was the next best thing. There was a oh, yeah. he was very very good in Grand Rapids, and he came in totally different than than what we were seeing in, in Jimmy Howard. And then it started to balance out. And then it was clear that Howard was the better goaltender. But now we see what Morazic was able to do. And he was terrible for the first three road games in that series. In, in one, two, and five, he was awful. But he, he showed up in, in game seven. And obviously, that's that's what you need. You need your goaltender, like Tukarask in Boston, to show up in a game seven. And, and he did in just that. Uh it's remarkable the amount of upsets we had in the first round. And really, like, I mean, Boston was a two seed to Toronto's three, but I still kind of look at that as an upset the way we were pushing Toronto. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think, they, uh, I think it ahead. was like a, like a, I want, it was like a month or maybe a month and a half um, before the playoffs started. And it was, you know, Toronto a two seed and Boston was in a three seed spot. And I would have picked. I mean, a month, a month and a half before the playoffs started, I would have picked Toronto in five. But I don't. I, I mean, we've talked about Toronto enough, but they they just faltered so much towards the end of the season, and then that's how Boston grabbed that two spot. And I think everyone was just like holding on to the idea that you know maybe Toronto is still the the powerhouse between these two teams. And it, I 
I don't I don't really know, you know, what, I, what happened, but I kept saying to myself before the playoffs started that you know you know when LeBron goes into the playoffs and he like totally transforms himself. I kept waiting for Toronto to do that. I kept yeah. waiting for playoff Toronto to just be this freak show off, you know, six goals a game, Freddie Anderson standing on his head, Morgan Riley and Jake Gardner really coming in. Morgan Riley had a very good regular season. I'm not going to, you know, blame either of those guys really for, for this loss, but it, we just never really saw Toronto put it all together at once. And I, and obviously that's, you know, among other things was a huge downfall, but the entire first round, it's fun and it's exciting to see these teams do it. But I mean, with the possibility of like a Columbus New York Islanders conference final in the East, like it's tough to think about. It really is, especially for hockey who has tough, who has trouble drawing viewers as it is. I'm not, I'd never root for Boston, but I've got a root. I mean, Carolina's on the other side. So whoever comes out of that series is going to damage how many people are turning on the Eastern conference final. So, but we'll, you know, We'll see how it does when we get there. That that Washington Carolina game did very well on NBC. Very, yeah, I, uh, very well. I'm, I'm I mentioned it to you, but we haven't really talked about it. Um, I'm wondering if that the the Columbus the game one down three nothing to Tampa, they come back, they win the game four three, and I think that that could have possibly shaped how this first round because I, I don't I would have to do the research. I don't know when we've seen a first round like this with all the upsets. Breaking and news. Really I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll get right back to this breaking news. Mm. Mm. The Jack Adams Award finalists were literally just announced. Uh, Islanders, Barry Trotz, obviously. Lightning's John Cooper, obviously. The third finalist, a little bit surprising, the Blues' Craig Berube. Oh, yeah. I see that now. Okay. So just something to think about. Maybe I mean, we'll put an article I out. Mean, John Cooper on there? What? What? <laughs> I know. I, I know we're not supposed to think of the regular season as this is happening, but it's it's obvious who should win this. Um, but anyway, so back to your Columbus series because I you we haven't talked about it, but you mentioned it. I really really like this idea. Yeah. So I'm I'm wondering that 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 game one comeback. Um, did it did it spark an idea in everyone else's mind that maybe this is not Tampa's Stanley Cup because. For all intents and purposes, we were all we were all like, "This is Tampa's Cup, at least, at least going to be in the Stanley Cup final." It, at but bare minimum, they were they were definitely making it to the second round. Right, right. I mean, yeah. So you had you had the Penguins in the in the finals. So you know, I guess I guess not everyone had Tampa in the in the finals, but they were the yeah, overwhelming least, favorite. Yeah, and at least like you said, at least getting through the first round and and possibly the second round. Um, so I think that sparked a thought in everyone's mind and then everyone started the underdogs not everyone the underdogs started playing out of their mind um and if that game one had like let's say even Columbus comes back to 3-3 and then Tampa wins it 4-3 in the last 10 minutes or whatever of the third period does does the first round go way differently in every other series I I, I wonder this a lot, and I really thought of it the best way I could, the, the best like metaphor I could think of for this was 
I I am deathly afraid of spiders. I hate spiders. Um, and if I had to go one on one with a spider, it'd probably win because I'd run away. But if I saw my wife go over there and kill that spider, who is much smaller than me, much more afraid of things than me, and you know, hate spiders just as much as I do. If she goes over and kill that spider, kills that spider. Now I think I can go kill that spider. Right. And you can kill a spider twice as big. Exactly. So Columbus in this scenario is my wife. Love you, Stephanie, but you are Columbus in this scenario. (laughs) And I am every other lower seed in the first round, you know, not that every other lower seed won, but there was a lot of fight from just about everybody, but Pittsburgh. And St. Louis was the lower seed than Winnipeg. So we can include them in this. And Dallas and Colorado, you know, Boston was the upper seed, whatever. But, you know, Columbus, Carolina, all those guys, they – I do think that the other underdogs that ended up winning their series, I do think they drew a little bit from that. Because when you see a giant slayer, you might become said giant slayer. Giant slayer. Right, especially if the giant you have to slay isn't as giant. Exactly. Exactly. And that, when you brought this up, I, I actually thought about it like six or seven times. I mentioned it to my roommate. It makes so much sense. And I had not heard it from any other outlet. And I really just like the concept of, of, of all teams, of all coaches, Columbus being the beacon of hope for the rest of the playoff teams. That, and that's crazy to me. And I love it so much. But will they – let's move right into it. Let's move right into the second round. Let's keep it rolling. All right. Columbus, Boston, what's your thoughts? They're down 1-0, by the way, Columbus. Yeah, so um, I watched that game. That, that game went into overtime, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah Comeback. Yeah. Columbus came back, and they went into overtime. That's right. Okay, so yeah. So Boston did what Tampa wasn't able to do in game one, and that was hold the comeback off. Um I picked Columbus in seven um, in this series, but only because I th- I think or I thought that the seven game series with Toronto was was going to wear Boston out quite a bit, um, and I thought there was no way John Tortorella wasn't going to have his team ready um, for the second round series. Uh, obviously, first first game was a hard fought game. Um, I, I don't think we can really tell which way the series is going to go yet, especially since Boston won that game at home, but. Uh, I, I'm going to stick with my, my Columbus and seven for right now. Um, I think they showed a lot in that Tampa series. And going back to what you said uh, a couple weeks ago, this is what they're built for. It, this is what – this is the deals they made, this was the very reason they made them, was so that they could do what they're doing right now. Yeah, and I, I picked Boston for the sake of my credibility because of the way my first-round picks went. But you're right. I it, And the thing to remember about game one is – is Boston just won a game seven two days ago. So yes, the fatigue will kick in, but I think the high of of putting out Toronto again is Absolutely. is still something that Boston's riding. And it's been a long time since Columbus has played a game. And they've been hyped up a lot. They've been shit on a lot. They it, It's been both ways. Uh, they found their legs later in that game. And I think they're going to come out in game two firing. And I really think... I think they're going to win this series, even though I picked Boston because I I have zero conviction uh, in my picks this year around or this time around. Uh, so we're <laughs> we're both kind of picking Columbus, even though on paper I have Boston. Uh, 
the next series in the East, the uh, Carolina Hurricanes in New York Islanders, they have not played a game yet. They played tonight as we record. I know who you're picking, but tell me why you think the Islanders are going to move on. Yeah, I've, I've waffled on this series um, more than any other series in the second round. And to be honest with you, I kind of settled on the Islanders because you picked the Hurricanes. But uh, um, <laughs> I think that I'm honestly sold on the Barry Trotz Islanders. Um, I think he's he knows exactly what he's doing with that squad. Um, I think his X's and O's are best in the league, bar none. Um, so I don't. I don't see the Hurricanes being a tougher opponent than Pittsburgh was for New York, and we saw how quick work of Pittsburgh New York made. So, so it's funny you say that because I think the only person left in the playoffs, and I'm going through the teams quickly in my mind and and putting a coach with each team. The only person doing more with less right now might be Rod Brindamore, and I, yeah. I do think that Rod Brindamore coached his team to a win against a better team than Barry Trotz just did. So I did pick, I did pick Carolina and I, I think it's for the same reasons you picked the Islanders. I think Brendan Moore is going to find a way to beat a very good defensive New York Islanders team. And Barry Trotz keeps getting credit for where the Islanders are. I don't think he's getting enough credit for what he turned them into. And it is the most boring defensive team in the league, but entertaining in the way the the late 90s, early 2000s New Jersey Devils was. I said that the, to you the other day. They, they're so impossible to watch. Kind of like the Senators a couple years ago, actually. I, I can't stand watching them. And they keep winning because of what Trotz has done defensively for that team. And then guys like Matty Barzal and the rest of the forwards can really counterattack and, and do what they do already and, and just adjust what they what they do defensively. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if either team won this series. I wouldn't be shocked if it went five or seven. I really think one team is going to figure out what works against the other and there won't be much change in that. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think this is going to be a series that um flip flops on momentum or hype or anything like that. It's going to be very um, like you said, Rob Brendamore versus Barry Trotz. It's going to be very strategy versus strategy, adjustments versus adjustments, game to game. Um, it's not going to be the most exciting series to watch, but I think it's going to be the most um, the series you want to keep your eye on most for like breaking down fundamentally. So going into going into the series before the puck even drops, let's just right here, gentlemen's gentlemen's agreement. How many shutouts do you think are going to be in this series? Combined? Yeah, like to, like if it goes seven or if it goes five, like how many shutouts do you think? Probably the Islanders, but in general, the winning team shuts out the other how many times? Sure, yeah. So I got I, I think right now I picked Islanders in seven. Um I I'd be I'd be willing to set the sh- shutout over under at combined between the two teams, two point five. Um I like that. I so, take the over on that. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm. To be honest, I'm waffling between two and three um, of the seven games. I have a shutout, but uh, yeah, I mean, if it goes, even if it's shorter than seven, um, the team that gets four wins, I think, will have at least a shutout. Yeah, and I, th- I think the shorter the series, the more shutouts we'll get. To be honest, I and I and that's so boring to think about, but it it does have 
an excitement factor, especially for you old heads that really enjoy that really miss that old time hockey. We're not going to see a lot of hitting in this series either. I mean, you got yeah. you got the Clutterbucks and, and those types of guys on the Islanders that will hit, but but matchup to matchup, I really don't think there's going to be a lot of hitting in this series. Yeah, I don't th- I don't think these teams necessarily hate each other enough for that for that stuff to come to life. I would honestly be surprised if Islanders fans even knew the Hurricanes existed. That's <laughs> that's not a shot at Islanders fans. That's more that's more a shot at Carolina. I love you guys, Surge, take warning, all that stuff. But I mean. You are a little bit forgettable before this playoffs. Uh, so moving on to the West. Uh, hold on. Let me wipe away these freaking tears. We have Colorado matched up against San Jose. You know who I'm picking mostly out of hate, but I really do what like what I saw out of the avalanche. I think they exploited a bad goaltender, and I think they'll do that tenfold this series. I, I don't remember if I said six or seven, but I'm actually going to go Avalanche in five. Yeah, uh, you, I don't remember what you said either. You picked one series in five, and I don't remember which one it was. Um, but uh, I, 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 had to be honest with you, six, I think you picked. But I'll go five. Yeah, I'm changing yeah. it to five. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, but anyways, I think this this series is going to be the exact opposite of the Carolina. New York series. Uh, it's going to be a lot of offense, a ton of offense. Um, I think both these, both of these teams are built that way. Um, I'm glad that these two games fall on the same day because we can kind of right. re, re, recoup from the up after the Islanders <laughs> game with the Avalanche. Game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so you gave me the over under on shutouts for the other one. I'm gonna. What's the over under on? Um, Six goal games, like combined six, between the two teams. Combined six goals. I go every game in the series, so five games. I I actually am <laughs> fairly certain there's going to be ten goals tonight. <laughs> I wouldn't hate it. I I mean, I really think I think the Sharks are going to be. It, dude, if the Sharks get a major penalty, who knows what'll happen? But <laughs> for. But in all honesty, I really think both teams are going to come out red hot. I, I'll pick McKinnon to score the first goal within three minutes. Yeah, both teams are going to want to exploit the other team's defense right away. I I, I absolutely agree. But it, both teams have a good defense. Is that not weird? Like, you watch those first two series. Or you watch the regular season for these teams, and Martin Jones is terrible. Uh, yeah. Game six of that Vegas series aside, worst, worst goaltender in the playoffs. And he's this team is limping to the finish line with him on their back, but Colorado showed how much they can do defensively with so little talent. Now, Kale McCarr is going to change that for sure. That guy's a freak. Um, for yep. anyone who doesn't know, uh, Colorado brought up their their draft pick Kale McCarr. Uh, he just finished his college season at BU. BC, BU, and he he's a defensive force. I think that changes things for the better for Colorado, but I don't see much defense, if any, played in this series. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a goal fest for I think. So you're picking the Sharks, I assume. Yeah, I picked I picked the Sharks to net an OT winner in Game Seven. I think in this series, I, I picked it to go seven. I don't remember if this is the one I said was going to go to OT or not. That's that's just slicing me right in the heart. And the last series of the second round, a 
very difficult series to kind of analyze. And right now it's 1-0 St. Louis as of last night. Really good game uh, for most of it. You know, it ended up 3-1 before Jamie Benn netted one late, late, late in the third. But the Stars are doing something. I put out an article last, late last night. Uh, go read it today. It's about comparing these Dallas Stars to the LA Kings in 2011-12, who ended up winning the Cup. And it is really similar. My fear, and I'm picking the Stars, my fear is freaking Jordan Bennington is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, dude is dude has proven his hype. Um, at, at the beginning of the year, he was a backup goalie in the AHL. So, I the the transformation he's made from the beginning of the season to now is just absolutely incredible. Yeah, I, for what it's worth, Philly fans, this is what Carter Hart should have been. The Carter Hart you have is not a Vezina finalist. Neither is Jordan Bennington because of how many games he played. But Bennington is the real deal. For now, now that I say that, he'll give up seven goals tomorrow. But I really like Dallas in this series because they might not have the the defensive prowess that, that St. Louis has, but they become a defensive team from top to bottom under Jim Montgomery. They do a really, really good job of protecting Ben Bishop, and Ben Bishop has not given up a lot of goals. I couldn't believe he gave up three last night, but Jim Montgomery has really transformed this team similar to the way Trotz has transformed the Islanders and I think they're going to be able to do more with turning their defense into offense for the rest of the series than St. Louis will be able to do. Because they didn't really turn defense into offense against Winnipeg. They just kind of pummeled Winnipeg into submission and then scored the goals they needed. Yeah. Um, for our So I'm, I'm sure some of our viewers don't like to read it. And I'm, I'm, I was very interested in your article. And I know you don't really want to, you know, just – read your article out loud but but yeah but i i do want you to touch on a little bit because what i thought was most interesting was the when you highlighted the top four um point getters of the stars now and the the kings back then and if you could just touch on that a little bit because i thought it was very interesting Yeah. so the 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 thing about these dallas stars are they were getting goals against but they were 29th in goals four that is exactly the same as the 2011-12 kings so when you're looking at the top of both these teams, Tyler Sagan had 33 goals, 80 points this year. Andre Kopitar, 25 goals, 76 points that year. Radulov, 29, 72. Justin Williams, 22, 59. Jamie Benn, who should probably have more points than Radulov, and I think that kind of speaks to the way this team is playing. He had 27 goals, 53 points. Dustin Brown, the captain of the Kings back then, 22 goals, 54 points. Young Jonathan Klingberg, 10 goals, 45 points this year. And uh, Mike Richards, 18 goals, 44 points for the Kings that year. I can't think of the the Radulov versus Williams thing is really the only staggering difference, but it's only 13 points. And Kobitar, Williams, and Brown did not play on the same line. Sagan, Radulov, and Ben did for most of the year. So that kind of inflates Radulov's number a little bit to get so far ahead of Williams. But that was that was unbelievable to me that that I didn't even think about that going into this piece. And when I got into the research and started to see the similarities in those numbers, that's when it really popped into my head that this is something that people might want to pay attention to because if one team can do it less than a decade ago, 
another team so similar can definitely do it in this crazy playoff atmosphere we have right now. Yeah, absolutely. I agree because I was, to be honest with you, I was not sold on Dallas whatsoever. I thought they got a lucky job by playing Nashville in the first round because I dubbed Nashville a pretender since day one. Um, so I wasn't too shocked. I mean, I picked Nashville to get out of the first round, but I wasn't too shocked that the Stars were able to upset them. But now that uh, you've brought this to light, I mean, obviously I wasn't paying attention to it, um, the comparison, but it, it, it really is incredible. I mean, the Kings were able to do it. And just like you said, you know, why, why Stars are probably thinking, why not us? Yeah, and I, I think they, sh- they should be thinking that because if any team drew inspiration from – from what Columbus did, like we were talking about, I think the stars might be it. Now they aren't the eighth seed in their conference. They were a wild card, a good wild card team, a good, good wild card team as far as wild card teams go, but they were playing perennial power, national predators. So there's, there's something missing on the stars team as far as, uh, watchability but they they are a fun team to to, to watch in in Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben being what they are um and coming back from you know what we went over anyone who's listened to every episode of this podcast remembers the rant I went on as far as Jim Lights criticizing Sagan and Ben and I hate to validate what he did but it paid off it really really yeah. did and they're a good team and I think being down 1-0 uh on the road in game one, I I don't think they're in, in, in any amount of trouble similar to Columbus. So, yeah, so are you are you picking the Stars to get out of this round? I am picking the Stars to win the Cup. Oh, okay. Very I think, interesting. I think, I think all that research kind of paved that path of uh, righteousness for me, and I'm picking them to get out of this round. And I, I think they're, they're going to keep clicking and get better uh, w- with each round that passes, I'm assuming you're picking the Blues. I, I I I did originally pick the Blues, yeah, but I also didn't have the luxury of reading your article before I made my pick. Um, and it, I, to be honest, it's changed my mind somewhat. I, I think if the Stars can solve the Bennington um, problem, then I mean, problem for them, not a problem for the Blues, obviously. <laughs> but if they can if they can solve that obstacle, then I I I do honestly think the Stars got a shot to at least make it to the final. I, I like it. That's the second round, everyone. Uh, tune in. Do you want to give me like ninety seconds, real quick? I'm gonna I'm gonna go off for a second. I think you know what we're about to talk about. I'm excited. Let's hear it. Let me lay the ground. Let me lay out the scenario for everyone, real quick. Maybe you live under a rock and haven't noticed. Uh, first, I should probably say, any kids listening to this, make sure your parents are aware. This is gonna be a lightly profanity laced rant i'm really upset in game seven of the vegas knights and san jose Sharks series the vegas knights are pounding the sharks three to nothing nothing is going the sharks way and cody eakin cross checks joe pavelski cross checked him i'll take it if you were to if you were to youtube Best face-off man of the last decade. You see that cross-check 400 times. I'll leave it at that. Unfortunately, and I, I need to say unfortunately because I really do hope Joe Pavelski's okay, where there's really still no word on how he's doing other than that he's day-to-day. Joe Pavelski lost his balance, 
Paul Stastny was going to find space on the ice, which he has a right to. And he got caught up in Pavelski. Pavelski fell and couldn't catch himself, did land on his head. It was very, very scary. He laid motionless for what seemed like an eternity. He was on the ice and it was bad. Uh, You started to see the, the blood puddle come out and he was helped off the ice. It was very emotional. Uh, the Sharks, Logan Couture, was all up in everyone's face. He's a very emotional guy, and he's very much their leader when Joe Pavelski's not on the ice. Um, so they, they usher Cody Eakin to the box, two-minute minor, whatever, cross-checking, I'll take it. And then things kind of start to change, and the refs get together, and they're talking to the players, and then Cody Eakin is ushered off the ice. And he's given a five-minute major, ten-minute game misconduct. I, how, how, I can't even, I'm trying to be calm about this. How do you call that in game seven? You didn't even see the play. You told Jonathan Marchessault, the Vegas Golden Knights, that it looked bad. And so you call a game misconduct in a three, nothing game of game seven. There was no life for the Sharks. Very much fish out of water in this game. They had nothing. Granted, Vegas Gold, the Vegas penalty kill could have done better. Absolutely. But when you see your captain, your fearless leader, literally Captain America, fall, get busted up, lose consciousness, get carried off the ice like a rag doll, you're going to be emotional. You're going to have leadership on the ice for the entirety of a five-minute major penalty. They score once, things look bad. They score twice, I start shitting my pants a little bit. As soon as it's tied, I knew that game was over. I knew that game was over, and it's absolute crap, crap, that the Golden Knights lost their season because a ref thought a play looked bad. And everyone sharing the junior hockey rules about a cross-check leading to an injury is a major penalty, that's not the right rules. The the refs made a mistake. The league apologized to Vegas like that's going to make a goddamn difference. They fucked up. And Vegas is paying the consequence for something that really could happen on any given faceoff, and it just so happened to happen with 10 minutes left in Game 7 of a playoff game. That is ridiculous. It should never have happened. And now I am 100% on board for being able to review major penalties if this is going to be the outcome. If a team can lose a lead like that, yes, the penalty kill could have been better. If you keep shoving that down my throat, people on Twitter, we're not going to get anywhere because you're not seeing the point. It shouldn't have been a power play for that long. If, if it's a double minor, I'll take it. They score two goals. Nate Schmidt punishes someone into the boards. Things change. And, and the Sharks lose that momentum. But they kept gaining momentum. They kept burying their teeth into the Knights. And to use a Shark-related punt, there was blood in the water, and they took advantage. They outplayed Vegas for that last 20 minutes, all the way or last 10 minutes, all the way into overtime. And a guy that took one shift – in overtime, beats an exhausted Vegas defense. That's that's not the ref's fault. I get that. Marc-Andre Fleury was probably exhausted, could have made a better play. But the fact that we were there is inexcusable by the league. It is inexcusable by those refs, and it should have never, ever happened, and it should never happen in a playoff game again. That's my piece. <laughs> okay, so I, I shared your sentiment. Um... Initially. Yeah, initially, as the play happened, to be honest, as the game ended, I was I was very much like, well, uh, San, as much as I was rooting for San Jose, I was like, we kind of cheated our way into a win on this one. Um, but then I looked, at, I looked at it a couple times. I read the rules, um, not the fake rules. 
which I know we're swirling around on Twitter quite a bit. But uh, one thing I learned when I read the rule, by the way, I'm pretty sure probably 90% of the people that found the rule and read it learned this as well. Um, the way it's written, every cross check is at the discretion of the ref, whether it's a minor or major. Every single one. The minor and the major penalty, are the rules are written the same exact way. Um, it's at the ref's discretion for a minor penalty. It's at the ref's discretion for a major penalty. So the way you boil it down, the ref decides. In So in that, on that hand, yes, I'm on board for reviewing major penalties. I have no problem with that. It's because at that point, it's still up to the ref's discretion. It doesn't change the rule whatsoever. Um, What I looked at when I saw the replay, I know a lot of people are claiming that the refs didn't see it. I I would venture to argue that the, the, um, I don't know his name, but the ref that dropped the puck saw it out of the corner of his eye. Otherwise, I don't know how they call it a cross check versus anything else. They had to have seen a cross check in order to call a cross check. And it very clearly was a cross check. Um, I don't, like you said, you see that play a million times out of the best faceoff guys, but I don't know what, I mean, it's high. The cross check is high. I don't, he can lose his faceoff and he goes right towards somewhere between um, Pavelski's chest and neck. It wasn't quite up to the face. Wasn't by any means below the chest. Um, so for, for that, I, I don't really know what Eakin's doing. Um, I know he's trying to make an aggressive play. It's game seven. But there's there's no need to go at him like that. I, and I know it was kind of like a – it was almost like a cross-check by Eakin and an interference. I know he's got right to space, but it, it almost should have been – I can get on board with a double minor or even a five-on-three. You give a cross-check and an interference. Um, and I would have been on board with a minor penalty cross check. I'm just not mad at the major because it's at the ref's discretion. Um, and, and it was an unnecessary cross check by Eakin. I, I think the situation could have been diffused if, if there was any evidence and I'm not disputing what you're saying because you do have a point and I'm heated about this because it wasn't the outcome I wanted. And I understand that. And I get that people just think I sound like a whiny baby, but there's there's literally no camera view of anyone looking at the play. And then you have guys who, far be it from me to call Jonathan March so a liar, when the ref says it looked bad. So there's there's really no basis for that. But I get what you're saying in the sense that maybe he can, yeah, like I'm not really sure what he's doing, but there are endless options for what you can do with him and Stassi interference, I'm not totally sold because in reality, Pavelski cut off his line. And what what happened to Pavelski is terrible. But there's nothing that says the refs used their discretion of the play. They used what they saw on the ice. They didn't not and, and not even the play. They used a puddle of blood yeah. to make a call. And that's what that's what's bullshit to me. That's and that's where I that's you know and also, I you know, I, I cut it out on Twitter. I deleted some of my tweets, admittedly. I just, I, I, I'm not going to say unfair because life's not fair. You know, if life were fair, the Penguins would be in the Stanley Cup Finals already. But I, I, it's really difficult for me to justify anything the, ref, anything the refs did. What the NHL should really do is tell the refs to keep your mouth shut about any call on the ice. Discuss yeah, with I, the I would league, agree with that. Discuss Absolutely. with the league before you say anything to any player or coach. Yeah, and I, I would also, I mean, if I if, if I was making the calling the shots, making the rules, I would take the ref's discretion out of the cross check penalty starting now. I would I would say, you know, something like maybe a cross check anywhere shoulder and above, that's a major. 
anywhere below is a minor or double minor at the ref's discretion. I'm cool with, you know, minor, double minor at ref's discretion, but I don't think that the minor to major can be a ref's discretion because of this very instance, the ref can make a subpar decision at a critical moment. Exactly. And it might've got lost in the rant, but I, I'm being sincere when I say stop sharing, not you, but people on Twitter, stop sharing the wrong rules. If you are not positive, they're the yes. NHL rules. I mean, that's just as dumb as the ref's ref's decision. Um, but I'll end it with saying the Vegas penalty kill definitely screwed that up. My point was that it, they shouldn't have been on the ice for five minutes, not to mention Cole, Cole, Cole Eakin. Cody Eakin is a pretty good penalty killer. So yep. that's where we stand. That's why I'm all pissed off at the early at the beginning of the show. But that actually, that anger is not what fueled a couple feuds we had on a, well, not really feuds. Yours isn't really a feud. But why don't you tell the listeners what you figured out on Twitter the, uh, yesterday? Yeah, so, yeah, mine's pretty quick. Um, so at the beginning of the year, I, I went and I followed every NHL team except the Blackhawks. I think it took me a few weeks, and I finally followed them. But uh, regardless, I knew I was following all the teams. I hate well, you, I went to go. T- <laughs> I was waiting for it. Uh, um, I went to go tweet something about uh, – Oh, because we had just come off the Vegas-San Jose game, and it was, you know, bad call or not bad call. It was a top-five playoff game of all time. I don't think you can argue. No, um, yeah, it was a great game. Um, But so I wanted to tweet something like, hey, the only way the only way we top this is by having the longest playoff game ever. And I tried to tag the Canes and the Capitals, and I realized I couldn't tag the Capitals. Um, so I had to go down a rabbit hole because I couldn't search their name either. And then I finally found a tweet where they were tagged, and I clicked on their – handle and it popped up i'm blocked by the capitals now i have absolutely no idea how it happened when it happened i have never been anything but cordial towards the capitals i've never had anything bad to say i'm pretty sure i've backed tom wilson every time he's been suspended have you ever liked a tweet that maybe was anti-capitals i i mean maybe i i can't say for certain because i've been been blocked by people for liking a tweet that was like slander towards them okay so all right so that's a good point maybe i did um maybe there was maybe they had some yeah i don't know that's possible that's probably the only thing i can think of or they mistakenly um yeah they thought you were zach bogosian and they accidentally blocked you (laughs) yeah maybe they thought i was boy chuck and they were sick of the following (laughs) i don't know But uh, yeah, that was that was very strange to me, and uh, now I don't. I have no way of reaching out to them to get it back. I would like to follow them, but if I can't get anything resolved, it's going to build up a lot of resentment in me towards Washington, and I'll, I'm just going to lead me to never root for that team ever again. Yeah, maybe if they were more focused on blocking the hurricane shots, they would have <laughs> made it to the second round. Ruthless. That was low hanging fruit. Um, All right, <laughs> so yours was a little bit more of a feud, though, and I want to hear about that. So this is weird. Uh, everybody who listens to the show knows I'm, I live in the Philly area. Uh, not really begrudgingly, but I hate everything about Philly sports. I make that abundantly clear. Um, not lost in that is Philly radio host or Philly podcast host. Um, Tony Bruno, who a lot of Philly fans are probably familiar with. He actually lives in San Jose now or San Francisco now. Um, and he does a podcast super, really, really, really bad. Uh, he's like, he's definitely like a hot take guy and he's the worst. So 
and I, I knew a little bit about him before I saw this tweet, but anyone who saw ESPN's tweet about bad time to be a Detroit sports fan, which again, low hanging fruit, they get it. They they've had bad luck in the playoffs or not getting to the playoffs. Uh, and Tony Bruno, he tweeted something back, something along the lines of at least, or I have $10. I should go buy a house there. And I get it. That used to be a very funny joke. Kudos to his comedy coach because six years ago that would have been a very funny joke and i just quoted it and i said imagine being stuck this far in the past which most philadelphia fans are but and i thought that'd be the end of it because he's got like thirty thousand followers you know i'm you know diamond in the rough i guess because he zeroed in on that responded to me insulted my sense of humor which I don't think I'm very funny, but literally no one's ever said that to me. Um, so that was kind of shocking. I was like, all right, whatever. Another angry, bald old man insulting me on Twitter. What's new? Might as well be my father. So I just, you know, he, oh, he, he sent me an article from the guardian from three years ago. So his quote was using his quote unquote $10 argument was because there was an article three years ago about being able to buy property in Detroit for $500, which you probably still can because Detroit is years behind on demolition. I don't live there anymore. uh, And I'm not a Detroit sports fan, but I'm very much proud of the resurgence that has happened in Detroit. I think the city is way better off than it was even three years ago when that article was published. So I was like, all right, you know, Article from three years ago. Congratulations. That was good. And uh, he he had to respond again, telling me to go rent a sense of humor. And then all his groupies jumped in and started liking his tweets. And, you know, I got, I went to respond to one guy. He insulted me and then blocked me. So that was, you know, that was fun. That was typical Philly stuff. And it kind of ended with that. I didn't really, I quoted him one more time. So I'm calling him an asshole, but it, it really makes no sense why people keep attacking Detroit, the city, when they clearly haven't been there or ever been there, um, let alone the last five years. So I, I went after it for that because it was it was a really easy joke to make. And, you know, you've got all these quote unquote fans, you know, and you think you're some hotshot because you have a podcast because you couldn't hack it in radio anymore. Granted, I'm hosting a podcast right now, but I was never in radio, so you can't say I couldn't hack it there anymore. Uh, he's just a typical Philly snob and it was very entertaining, uh, to me and everyone that follows me on Twitter to see him go off because someone insulted one of his very, very bad jokes. So that was our week on Twitter. It was, uh, shocking (laughs) to say the least. The first round kind of turned into our Twitter life. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I, I saw, I saw you, I think one of your responses to him or something I saw, um, and I had to, I, I like jumping in that kind of stuff, but I had to stay back cause I'm obviously I lived in Michigan for most of my life. Um, and I thought I was just going to get way too personal with it, but my biggest, uh, my biggest takeaway was I don't, yeah, I don't understand why a, a tweet geared towards sports fans from a city turned into a, a response about livelihood in the city. That just seems so shallow Yeah, to and me. he really, see, it's funny you say that because he attacked my sense of humor and he did exactly the opposite of it. I get that he thinks he's making a joke because he thinks he's talented, 
but he attacked the the literal livelihood of so many people and that's what that's what's upsetting because there are so many great things happening in Detroit and that continue to happen in Detroit that a tweet about the sports teams who are pathetically bad for anyone that doesn't know the Lions drafted a tight end in the first round again last night garbage so garbage. it continues to be bad the Pistons just got swept the Red Wings didn't make the playoffs Tigers are the Tigers um it it made no sense to attack Detroit that way uh when it was really just uh, a tweet about sports and that's what you're supposed to be is a sports guy and you made it personal and you're right that that should have been the biggest takeaway from people that appreciate what he does is that's not somebody that like the, the bankruptcy jokes and everything they're really really old and a lot of people have lost everything they owned because of that so I, I just think it's a really bad joke i think the flint water jokes are just as bad and if he would have made one of those jokes i probably would have taken it a step further but it is you know it is what it is as, as people who used to live in michigan we both know that those things are coming um, but I have a lot of family and a lot of friends in, in Michigan in the Metro Detroit area. And I, you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get a fist fight over it, but I'm not going to let a bad joke stand because, you know, he's got nothing better to, going on than, you know, insulting Detroit over a sports team. Right. Maybe he should start a podcast about socioeconomic status quo. Exactly. You know, instead. he'd be much better at that than a comedic podcast, at least, at least from the looks of it. Right. Uh, so yeah, Twitter is fun at, G-E-H-R-H-O-L-Z underscore K and at belly up Zach Mac. Uh, what did we miss? Did we miss anything? I don't, I don't think so. My list went away. Um, <laughs> we got, we, we brushed through a recap. We did the preview. We did our feuds. Um, real quick, real quick, before we go into what to watch this weekend, uh, we talked about Kyle Dubas. Is Mitch Marner the number one priority or, do they need to just kind of focus on what they have and hope that Marner takes what they're going to offer? Yeah, I mean, he he said that Marner was number one priority. Uh, I don't, I don't really. I, I mean, I think it would be smart for them to obviously secure him in whatever means they can. Um, but does he deserve Austin Matthews' yeah, money? That's that's what I was. I heard a lot of people saying that he he deserves somewhere in between Tavares and Austin Matthews money, um, which is a difference of like, I think it's like eleven that Tavares makes a year and Austin Matthews is like eleven point six or something like that. Um, so it's not a huge gap, but I, no, I don't think he deserves Austin Matthews money. I don't. To be honest with you, I don't even think he deserves Jonathan Tavares money. But um, I, I I can understand where the Leafs are coming from if they're trying to if if they're willing to do that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he deserves any sort of money like that because I I think too many times we've seen guys who benefit from better players making them better. Um, like, yep. look at Jake Gensel. Jake Gensel's kind of become like a, a low-key superstar because he plays online with Sidney Crosby, and he took five years, $25 million. Matthews deserves yeah. more than five years, $25 million, but I wouldn't go much higher than five years, nine mil- or five years, $45 million. That's nine million a year for a guy who we don't know if he can even anchor his own line. Right. Yeah. And then I don't. I think the last thing they want to do is run into a Nylander situation. I think that drama was so unnecessary. Um, I don't think they needed Nylander as bad as uh, maybe Nylander thought they needed him. But yeah, I, I don't. There's there's so much. I feel like the Leafs are making a lot of drama out of signing players, and it's just unnecessary. Yeah. It's it seems like every 
every off season after the first round, apparently, because it's Toronto, uh, we start talking about Toronto contracts and it'd be, it'd be a shame if we had to start next season on Nylander or on a uh, Marner watch. Like we started last season. <laughs> watch. Right. But we'd be ready for uh, it. We would. We are experts in the uh, watch this Toronto player, not sign his contract. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a really fun weekend. Uh, we got hockey on right now as Columbus and New York go into the first intermission. Colorado and San Jose play later tonight. And then, you know, we go back and forth over the weekend. What are you looking forward to most this weekend? Or is it non-hockey related? No, it's, it's definitely hockey related. Um, I, I, I'm really, for me, for some reason, I, I like to get through the weekend um, for the NHL playoffs. Um, and I like to see where I, for, I like watching hockey during the week. Um, it's a personal thing. I don't know why. Um, I think so I started the podcast with like- bad take haver and there we go. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't, I don't hate that take to be honest. It does break up the week a little bit. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm more or less trying to, I'm not really looking for anything specific over the weekend. Um, I'm obviously I'm going to be keeping a close eye on the games and just trying to see how the first few games shake out for each of the series and using those to uh, kind of predict or, or preview what's going to, how the series is going to end or, or what teams need to do. Um, that, that's more or less what I'm going to use my weekend for. What about you? I am looking for a scenario in which I can make a total ass of myself. And for that to happen on Twitter, well, just in general. Uh, um, <laughs> and I think for that to happen, the Islanders and the Sharks would have to win game one of each of the respected series. That way I can say every game one winner is going to lose their series. If that doesn't happen, I'll have to make up some other hot shot take. But uh, I'm kind of hoping for that. Other than that, I'm just you know I'm really hoping the Avalanche uh, kind of pummel the Sharks. I'm I'm going to stay bitter about that. And Martin Jones, you know, in the same game, I'm going to be looking at Martin Jones because Game Six first round is not Martin Jones. But if they can, you know, keep him safe, you know, he's not going to be Laner, but he could be Rask at the at the least. Um, I think, I, I, I think that covers it. Uh, yeah, I got no, I got no lasting thoughts in my head. Well, this was awesome overdue. We will be back next week with hopefully, could there be a sweep by that time? Yes. We could be talking about the end of any series that ends up in a sweep. If I'm right about my game one winner losing their series, then hopefully not. But uh, we will talk to you next week. Guys, please go check out Zach's second round preview on Belly Up Sports under the NHL tab. And go check out my Stars vs. Kings 2019 vs. 11-12 comparison. I think that's a really cool piece if I do say so myself. And I put in a lot of work uh, on it. And when I do see my wife for the first time in three days, uh, she will remind me that I put way too much effort into that. So go check that stuff out. Uh, Remember to rate review subscribe to the podcast maybe in the opposite order because i said that backwards and we will see you guys next week zach always a pleasure thanks for listening see you this episode of puck puck pass was brought to you by belly up sports and the belly up sports podcast network follow your host on twitter belly up yake belly up underscore kj and belly up zach mack